belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for February 21st, 2021 is called, Are You Smelling What I'm Selling? The speaker is John Ray, and the location is the Ray Homestead in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Welcome again to everyone who is listening on podcast or joining us here in Northwest Arkansas or from other places. We are really, really glad you're here this morning. Um, man, if we've ever needed Easter, is it now? The longing for springtime, the longing to get out as we were talking before the service this morning, um, just this pent up um, energy to get out to be um, with people, to see new growth happen is building in us in this deep winter we are experiencing. If ever there was a year we needed Easter, it is this year in this what seems to be never-ending winter. It might also seem like the very last thing we need is Lent. I mean, haven't we had Lent now for over a year of denying ourselves, of not going out, of of not getting to do and practice the things that we love so much? Don't we have enough Lent already? Isn't there enough bad news swirling around us now? Well, the short answer is no. Because it's one thing to be surrounded by bad news. It's another thing to face it, to own it, to own our part, to confess our complicity and actively practice repentance. You see, that's the only true way to prepare for Easter. The only way to truly deal with the brokenness that leads to healing. Lent reminds us that we aren't going to inform our way out of this one. We're not going to perform our way out, and we're sure not going to reform our way out. No, we need to be delivered from our sin, from the brokenness that we inhabit in this world. I've been struck with this thought lately that the only thing that can save us from utter catastrophe is catastrophe, practiced catastrophe. What I mean by that is this idea that I will not shy away from the brokenness. I will not turn away from the darkness. I will not try to numb myself to the reality of all the pain and the suffering around me, but I will go through that and see salvation come among it in the midst of it. T.S. Eliot once said that we should love the church because it's the only institution with the backbone to tell us of sin and death and other unpleasant facts of life. N.T. Wright wrote that Lent is a time for discipline, for confession, for honesty, not because God is mean or fault-finding or finger-pointing, but because he wants us to know the joy of being cleaned out, ready for the good things in store. And that 
that requires an imagination. And we're going to see that in our text in Isaiah, Isaiah study this morning, is how the prophet is continually calling people to confront their sins, but not in this finger pointing fault finding way, but as a way to free them for something better that they can't see until they face those things. Lent gets it. Likewise, Lent gets us ready. It helps us look beyond our immediate horizon to the coming new creation promised of God. Now, leading up to this, as you know, if you've been listening, we've been studying the book of Isaiah. These past few weeks, we've, we've been really incredibly blessed to hear from two magnificent teachers, uh, Ruben Nuno up in Brooklyn, and then Laura Holland here, part of our own fellowship. Um, Ruben, I want to recap a little bit of what they said, because it really leads into what, we, um, what we're studying this morning. And if you haven't heard those messages, I almost want you to stop right now and go back and listen to them, because they're just so profoundly good. Um, but I'll recap briefly, and then trust that you can go back if you haven't heard them. But Reuben talked about epiphany as this sudden moment of clarity, and that that epiphany is what leads us through Lent into Easter. And we'll see more of that today. And he talked about how it gives us this framing narrative, the story within the story, the gospel within the gospel, that from the dark places light comes. And that he made this quote that I found profoundly moving that Jesus is inviting us to embrace the light that begins in the margins. That transformation that starts in the margins of our life is not from our strengths, our talents, or from our influence, but from our brokenness. And then he talked about how the kingdom is also a kingdom, a bringing together of the the people who were formerly at war, the people who formerly hated or, or ignored or abused others and brings us together in a family with that. We talked about how God is always trying to reframe our narrative. We'll see more of that today with that. Uh, and just as an aside here, we, we talked about this during the, the Catalyst team meeting. He referred to me as Pastor John. Now, those of you who have been part of Grace Church for a long time know I'm not the pastor. Sure, I teach on most Sunday mornings, but that's my job is to be the, the person in the fellowship who is in charge or who facilitates leadership of turning us towards the word and infusing the word in the body. But at Grace Church, we have a very different structure than most churches you'll find. We have a very flat leadership model. And the Catalyst team and, and truly everyone at Grace is encouraged and hopefully equipped to serve as a minister of the gospel. We all have different responsibilities and roles within that, but I'm not the pastor of the church. I, am, I, I do some pastoring, but there are many pastors in this church. One of the reasons why we do this is it hopefully combats the tendency, the unfortunate and tragic tendency that we see in many churches and religious organizations for um, kind of a cult of celebrity to form around whoever has the microphone the most, whoever has the platform the most. We've seen that tragically again this past week as another very major ministry leader was revealed to be enmeshed in decades of sin. (sighs) 
It's almost too terrible to talk about. The victims of this person. And so, again, this is just one of the reasons why we have adopted the model as unwieldy at times, as slow as it may seem, as difficult to fit within the context of what we're used to. But we do this because there is a the maximum amount of accountability that we can um, practice within this. Anyway, we moved from Reuben that one week and then to uh, Laura last week with this. And she talked about how her, on Valentine's Day of all things, her passage dealing with judgment kind of formed the middle of a hope sandwich, that there was hope on both sides, but in the middle there was this this warning of catastrophe that Jesus or that God was talking about, the prophet was talking about. Um, and she talked about the, the real question is not what was said, but how are we going to respond to that? What's going to be our response? Are we going to respond with pride and arrogance to this saying, hey, well, we'll just build back better. I'll just, so what if we lose all that? We'll just get more better later. Is that going to be our response? And how she said, no, and it has to be that we have to realign our trust and reconcile with one another instead of that pride and arrogance. She talked about how the the whole of her text was a story for and about community. That we all share in the blessings and consequences, something we're all experiencing now, truly. Maybe as never before as modern Americans, we're understanding that, that we're all in this together, the blessing and the curse with that. Well, so those were incredible setups to this week when we get into chapters 11 and 12 in Isaiah. And this is what it says. If you, you're reading along, I'm using the net version, the NET version of this, Isaiah's, Isaiah chapter 11 and 12. I'll read through the whole thing briefly, stopping for one comment as we go. Starting with verse 1, chapter 11. A shoot will grow out of Jesse's rootstock. A bud will sprout from its roots. The spirit will rest, the Lord's spirit will rest on him, a spirit that gives extraordinary wisdom, a spirit that provides the ability to execute plans, a spirit that produces absolute loyalty to the Lord. He will take delight in obeying the Lord. And this is where we get the title for our sermon this morning, because in the Hebrew, this literally reads, his smelling will be in the Lord. Indicating that that this the the glory of the Lord was the most pleasant aroma that he could imagine. He will not judge by mere appearance or make decisions on the basis of hearsay. He will treat the poor fairly and make right decisions for the downtrodden on the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and order the wicked to be executed. Justice will be like a belt around his waist, integrity like a belt around his hips. A wolf. Now listen to the, listen to the imagination here of how this changes everything. The wolf, a wolf will reside with a lamb. The leopard will lie down with a young goat. An ox and a young lion will graze together and a small child will lead them all. A cow and a bear will graze together. Their young will lie de- down together. And like a lion, like an ox, will eat straw. A baby will play over the hull of a snake, over the nest of a serpent, and an infant will put his hand. There will no longer injure. They will no longer injure or destroy on my entire royal mountain. 
For there will be universal submission to the Lord's sovereignty, just as the water completely covers the sea. At that time, a root from Jesse will stand like a signal flag for the nations. Nations will look to him for guidance, and his residence will be majestic. At that time, the Lord will again lift his hand to reclaim the remnant of his people from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the seacoast. He will lift a signal flag to the nations. He will gather Israel's dispersed people and assemble Judah's scattered people from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will end and Judah's hostility will be eliminated. Ephraim will no longer be jealous of Judah and Judah will no longer be hostile towards Ephraim. They will swoop down on Palestine, the, on, the, on the Philistine hills to the west. Together they will loot the people of the east. They will take over Edom and Moab and the Amorites will be their subjects. The Lord will de- divide the gulf of the Egyptian sea. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates River send a strong wind. He will turn it into seven dried up streams and enable them to walk across in their sandals. There will be a highway leading out of Assyria for the remnant of his people, just as there was for Israel when they went up from the land of Egypt. At that time, you will say, I praise you, O Lord, for even though you were angry with me, your anger subsided and you consoled me. Look, God is my deliverer. I will trust him and not fear for the Lord gives me strength and protects me. He has become my deliverer joyfully. You will draw water from the spring of deliverance. At that time, you will say, praise the Lord. Ask him for help. Publicize his mighty acts among the nations. Make known that he is unique. Sing to the Lord, for he has done magnificent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and shout for joy, O citizens of Zion, for the Holy One of Israel acts mightily among you. Well, now, while we might be familiar with some of the verbiage there, some of the verses, we have to understand that to the people at the time, this is pure fantasy. This this is so far out of the concept of what they experienced in their daily lives, of being constantly ridiculed at war, underarmed, under-resourced, taken advantage of, carted off as slaves, that to say, no, you're going to be the conqueror. No, your people will be delivered. No, it will be like this incredible new creation even of, of the natural order, the lion and the lamb together, the ox and the leopard together. That's what it will be like. It must have been seemed so far-fetched to them as to almost just be worthy of just dismissal. Just why talk that way? Why, why have your head in the clouds like that? Can't you see the way that we're living? Can't you see our reality? To say that those things were going to happen might have even seemed cruel, like giving the people false hope. Well, in our study of Isaiah, this kind of brings us to a, a little bit of a close of a segment. You see, chapters 1 through 12, in a way, form the whole message of Isaiah. We're going to be revisiting these themes as we go. We're going to see some really interesting, unique things. But, but really, Isaiah 1 through 12 encapsulate the whole of the message of Isaiah. There has been, as, as our commentator John Goldingay says, there has been a confrontation, warning, and promise 
The community is invited, is invited to live within the story facing the challenges of the present, but also when the warnings have been fulfilled, living by the promises in the future. We've seen this develop throughout these first 12 chapters of Isaiah. And what we see by this is that our ability to imagine God's redemptive work among us guides much of our response to the current situation. If we can't understand what God wants in the future, we don't know how to live now. We don't know how to act now. If we can't believe that there is that God's redeeming, new creating work is, is going to come and is, in fact, happening now, we are overwhelmed with the specifics of the immediate. And we give in to the despair, the distraction, the addiction, the compromise of just getting by. You see, this whole book is poetic. And the target is not so much giving us information. It is forming our imagination. It's not aiming at our analytical understanding of this happens on this date by this army and this thing. No, it's, it's painting a poetic picture of an entire new creation that not only sustains us in the daily demands of our lives, but gives us hope and life for something beyond it. We have to practice that. We have to nurture it. Lent helps us do this. You see, we must give serious time and attention to developing what we've talked about before as an active gospel imagination. If we are to freely live into the redemptive work of God, it has to be active, it has to be alive, and it has to be imaginative, but based in the gospel, based in the word of God and the people of God and the spirit of God, helping us to see what we can't otherwise see just with our physical eyes, what we can't just understand with our analytical part of our being. Uh, it's, it's poetry, it's song, and it's even smell. What does this smell like? Grace Church and everyone who is listening to this, listen to my plea this morning. Don't give in to the lie that the way things are now is the way things always have to be. Set your hearts and minds on the things that are to come from God. Don't let that it's never been done this way before stop us. It's ne we've never seen that before. Stop us. The promise is that it will happen. You know, as we studied this week and we talked about it within the, the teaching team, Ellen talked about how smell and memory come together and, and, and these memories are emotional. Like we need to get emotional about this. We need to long for it. We need to... We need to be joyful when we see it, and we need to, to lament when we don't. We need to grieve that it is so long in coming at times, or at least feels that way from our perspective. Laura talked about how this, this smell of this or this imagination of this brings us into the future. It leads us into the future. Jane talked about how this smell brings hope and comfort. We, it, this imagination has to be nurtured, and it is constantly bombarded, and we are told no. 
God says yes. Well, what did this mean for the original audience? We've been asking this. I touched on it earlier. They must have thought this was crazy talk. Honestly, they must have looked at Isaiah delivering this message and said, Dave, what are you smoking? Like, don't you see? Don't you see our glorious past? Don't you see what that, that brief time that we had when David was king and Solomon was king? Those days are over. The kingdom is divided. We are conquered people. We are carted off as slaves to Assyria. Heck, we can't even muster up enough army to go beat the Edomites or the Ammonites, our neighbors. They're constantly raiding us, taking our crops, killing our men, raping our women. What are you talking about that we're, all this is going to happen? You're nuts. And yet that message, at least within a remnant that we talked about earlier, formed the imagination of enough people to endure to live into the promises as impossible as they seemed at the time. It gave them that capacity. And then the early church, we asked this question, what does it mean to the early church? They must have gone back and read this scripture and and thought, oh my gosh, this is happening. It's true after centuries. It is coming to pass. Jesus has come. The new is come. The old is passing away. But what about us? What about us? Do we look at it like the first hearers maybe and say, get out of here with all your God talk. Like, give me something practical. Give me something useful. Give me something to just get by. But just quit it with all this God talk. Is that us today? Or do we need to be more like the first hearers and say yes and amen? Yes and amen. We see it. We smell it. It's not here yet all the way, but it's coming. And we will live as people who believe it to be true. We will not give in to the naysaying forces, to the distracting vices that seek to pull us off the path. But we will lean into this imagination. We will fill our senses with the smell of it, our minds with the dream of it, our hearts with the love of it. Will we be that people that does that? Tim said in our meeting that We need an infusion of the smell of the gospel. Friends, I can think of no better image than that. That we would just fill our nostrils. We'd give our emotions, set our hopes and dreams on the gospel message. We do this specifically at Grace Church by practicing this idea of belong, become, and then believe. 
you see, it's easy in our world to pick and choose who is in and out, who's worthy and who's a lost cause. Basing that on our own understanding and imagination. God defies it all though, right? I mean, God defies all that. And as God redefines the worth of every human being by welcoming them into fellowship, period. No pre-qualifiers. God welcomes everyone. We must practice the same. This act of imaginative hospitality in turn forms us in our own imaginations and, and aligns it, as Lord said, aligns it more with God's and more aligns us more with each other in imaginative community. And from this emerges our confession, our faith. In a way, it forms a beautiful smell of the gospel in us, among us, and around us. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.